0: Welcome to Give Methods a Chance, a podcast where we look at social science methods in practice.
1: In this episode, we speak to Audrey Kobayashi. Audrey is a professor of geography at Queen's University. Her accomplishments are too many to list. Audrey is an author of multiple books, edited volumes, and peer reviewed articles around the subjects of race, class, gender, and national identity. She has been invited to give lectures around the world and has served as the president of the Association of American Geographers. Audrey joins us to discuss the value of focus groups. Hi Audrey, thank you for joining us here today. My pleasure. So we're here today to talk about focus groups. If you were to introduce this method to an undergraduate class who had never heard of it before, how would you go about describing it?
0: I think that a focus group is an opportunity to do research with a group of people who have something in common, but have an issue or a problem that that can be explored in a group setting. In other words, a focus group is a method of research in which the process from beginning to end results in some kind of change among the people or in the information that's available, uh, because it's a dynamic process uh, in which people are able to interact with one another and come up with uh, some sort of uh, common agreement or sometimes disagreement.
1: So I was hoping to use your recent research on transnationalism, citizenship, and social cohesion to discuss this method. Would you mind telling us a little bit about the project, in particular, what your central research questions or the topic you were pursuing was?
0: Yes, this was a big project. We had a a number of central questions. One, in general, was what is the experience of immigrants from Hong Kong to Canada, uh, especially during that period from the mid-1980s to the mid-1990s? Uh, when they were the largest single group, uh, to arrive in Canada as immigrants. So we're looking at their experiences, which are sometimes great, sometimes involve racialization. We're looking especially at their sense of citizenship. Where do they feel that they belong? What is the meaning of Canada? What is the meaning of Hong Kong in their lives? And how do they negotiate the relationship back and forth between Canada and Hong Kong through family, through friends, through their understanding of the role of the state, public policy, a whole range of things that define what citizenship means.
1: When you were designing this study, did you have a specific methodological approach in mind and then you... uh sought out the topic, or did the topic come first?
0: Well, certainly the topic uh, came first, although it was almost simultaneous. Uh, We realized right at the beginning that because citizenship is such a dynamic concept, uh, it's not very effective to simply interview one-on-one and say, how do you understand citizenship? But we would rather get that sense of uh, that discursive sense of how people discuss citizenship and understand it among themselves. Because, of course, we're talking about communities. And so the focus group as a basis for community research uh, seemed to make sense.
1: So you just mentioned interviews. Did you consider or draw on other methodological approaches or was this a strictly focus group oriented project?
0: Uh, we did. Uh, we did one on one interviews. Uh and, and those were often very effective in trying to understand the experiences of individuals. Uh, we did a background questionnaire with every one of the focus group members. I consider this actually to be part of the focus group methodology uh, because you need to understand with whom you're speaking. So the background questionnaire... Uh, was fairly long. It gave a lot of demographic information, but also a description of people's experiences. When did they come to Canada? How did they come to Canada? How many members of their family came uh, with them? Information about education and occupation and the places where they live.
1: Could you talk a little bit more about how your methodological choice fit with the theoretical framing of your questions? Um, you're touching on that a bit already, but I was hoping you could push that out a little bit further.
0: Yeah, it's definitely in understanding the, the dynamic discourse through which communities forge a sense of identity uh, as a common project. Identity is always common. It's always something that people share. It's always something contested. It's always influenced by a lot of contextual factors. It's never just something that an individual has as an individual. And this is especially the case in communities uh, that feel that they have a common bond of traditional culture or any other basis for recognizing one another.
1: This is a a bit of a tangential question, um, but I've noticed within sociology and geography and most of the social sciences, it seems like focus groups are generally underused. With this area of study, are focus groups common?
0: That's a very good question. You're right. Certainly in geography, I do not see a lot of focus group use. I think uh, there is much more potential. And in that respect, this study does stand out somewhat, although... It's certainly not alone in using focus groups. I think the important thing here is to distinguish between a focus group and a group interview. I don't think that a group interview is good methodology because it means that you're getting a mishmash of of bits and pieces of, of information that's very difficult to uh, set up analytically so that you can understand the variables among individuals. Uh, whereas the focus group, because it is dynamic and relates to discourse, as I've just said, has a potential for a very different kind of finding. And I think that there's plenty of room to continue to develop uh, that potential.
1: Would you be willing to take a moment to explain the distinction between focus groups and group interviews?
0: Yes, a group interview is kind of, if you like, a cheap way of getting interviews, in- Information um, that is best done either through individual interviews, if the, if those are uh, open-ended, or through some kind of survey, which can even be electronic. Uh, the focus group is not a place to get a um, a collection of information about individuals. It's about the dynamic, the process, the conversation. So it's never about what any one person says.
1: Okay, thank you. Um, so how did you go about recruiting for and organizing the focus groups that you conducted?
0: We worked through actual communities, which I think is, uh, is very important. Uh, community associations, we started out with the largest immigrant serving associations in Toronto and Vancouver, the two places where the Research was done, um, as well as in universities. We interviewed, or sorry, we both interviewed and set up focus groups uh, in a number of university settings the University of British Columbia, York University, Queen's University, where I am, um, and Hong Kong University. Um, and We asked those associations to contact their members and and see if they would agree to participate in the research. Uh, We also use purpose of sampling in that individuals who were contacted passed uh, the request on to their friends and their relatives.
1: Did you care if the focus groups were composed of people who had previous experiences or knowledge of each other?
0: We were neutral on that question. It, It probably was not very important uh, to this research project, although we would be wary of having too many people who knew one another beforehand in that it might skew the results toward a very particular group instead of the community in general. Uh, On the whole, however, they didn't know one another.
1: Did you face any unexpected barriers or challenges when you were collecting the data and organizing the focus groups?
0: I wouldn't call them unexpected but we certainly faced some challenges one is that because it was a very large project involving research both in Canada and in Hong Kong we had a number of people conducting the focus groups Uh, and so it was very important to have consistency in the questions that were asked, notwithstanding that, of course, there's some open-endedness in each group, uh, but we worked very hard to make sure that we had consistency. The other thing is language, in that more than half of the focus groups were conducted in Cantonese. And so we had to have all of the transcripts translated and then coded in English. And so we always had to be aware of uh, subtle nuances and differences that might occur between English and Cantonese.
1: Are there any particular practical details or tricks of the trade that you'd be willing to share uh, about conducting focus groups?
0: Oh, I have lots. That's Um, great. That's
1: what we're looking for. (laughs) um,
0: First of all, where the focus groups take place is very important. You need to have a comfortable setting where people are going to feel that they belong and that they can speak freely. We usually use uh, the offices of community associations, but sometimes a restaurant or another organization. It's important, of course, that the room be quiet. That there aren't any outside noises. Um, It's important to set the room up well before the participants arrive so that you're not scurrying around trying to take care of details, but that all the materials are set out at places around a table. And uh, usually that would mean having the microphone and and a computer for recording set up. Uh, as well as the questionnaire. In this case, we administered a fairly lengthy questionnaire um, prior to beginning the focus group. Um, in, in some respects, it's better to have a shorter one, but we had a lot of information to gather. It's important that you do the questionnaire before the focus group because, as I said before, we differentiate between individual information, which is fairly factual and background um, that can be collected one by one and the dynamic information that comes from the focus group. So the questionnaires have uh, demographic information and information about their experiences when they came to Canada, their education, their work experiences, etc. Also at each place um, is a name card this is very important for two reasons. One, if someone has a name card in front of them, it doesn't have to be their own name. It can be a a pseudonym of some kind, Um, but it allows people in the group to address one another and therefore it facilitates a better conversation. But the other reason is in order to keep track of people. So we have a questionnaire with a code number on it. The Name tag also has a code number on it, and that allows the recorder to note who is speaking at any given time, uh, and then later on it allows us to link the things that are said in the focus group to the background questionnaire. Um, In terms of actually conducting the focus group, uh, it's very important that there be both a facilitator who leads the discussion and a recorder. The participants need to know that they have the full attention and the engagement of the facilitator. And that won't happen if the facilitator is typing on a computer or taking notes or something and people are wondering, what's that person writing? The recorder, however, sort of sits in the corner, uh, with a computer. They don't need to take verbatim notes because we have a tape recorder set up and by the way also a backup tape recorder so there are two of them going at the same time just in case. Um, what I do is have the recorder write down the uh, code of the person who's speaking and these need to be short um, HK1 HK2 something like that uh, as well as the first three words Uh, of what they say so that we can match those up to the transcripts when they're made uh, later on. Um, Also, it's important uh, in setting up that we look at things like uh, refreshments. People are going to need drinks at a minimum, and we usually try to provide some food as well. But in looking at the food, it needs to be something that is not going to cause a lot of crunchiness or isn't in uh, cellophane wrapping. And these are very minor things, but they could really mess up your recordings uh, a- a- as well as you know, putting drinks in um, soft containers like paper cups so that they're not banging uh, on the table. So these practical things are minor, but they all add up to really making a difference in the quality of the results.
1: One of the things I've noticed when conducting focus groups is a tendency for participants to slip into that uh, group interview mentality where they're simply responding to you rather than having a conversation with each other. Did you do anything to ensure that did not happen?
0: Absolutely. Uh, There are two aspects there. One is uh, thinking very carefully beforehand about who's at the table. So we had lots of people who said that they would agree to be in the focus group, but they were organized um, according to some background in common. So, for example, we interviewed students uh, and, and youth in general uh, separately from people who were their parents' age. Uh, obviously, we separated the English-speaking and the Cantonese-speaking groups, but also we had groups that were designated for business people. And in some of the groups, we separated by gender. Others, we had the genders together, just depending upon what exactly was being discussed in that particular uh, session. So first off, we get the participants to have something in common. Um, Next, once the people are around the table and engaged, Uh, It's important to have uh, some questions up the sleeve, so to speak, so that uh, you can intervene if it looks like things are not going so well. One of the things that happens is that there are one or two alpha types who will dominate the conversation and try to answer every question and cut people off. Uh, If it looks like that's going to happen, then, of course, we need to have something uh, that will allow a sort of pulling back and getting other people involved in the conversation, especially when there may be at the at the other end people who are shy and unwilling to speak or think that nobody wants to hear what they have to say. So I always have a few questions. Uh, first of all, a, a warm-up question, um, nothing too personal, but something like, oh, when did you come to Canada? Of course, we know that from the the questionnaire, but it allows people to just get into the conversation and start talking about it. Um, and also uh, questions that will allow the facilitator to, uh, to go into a mood where they say, okay, let's go around the room and everyone respond to this question briefly. Of course, you don't want to uh, conduct the whole focus group like that because it, it would then lapse into being a group interview. Um, but it's, I think, quite appropriate when either when things are getting unbalanced or when you want to change gears, change the directions of the conversation to ask that kind of a question to get everybody involved.
1: So once you ran the focus groups and you recorded and you had them transcribed, what did you do to analyze the data?
0: Well, we used InVivo which is kind of the industry standard uh, for coding and analyzing transcripts. In vivo has uh, advantages and disadvantages that I won't go into, but mainly uh, it proved an advantage in allowing us to search through massive amounts of information. Because the focus group, rather than an interview, we're concerned in the analysis not just with, oh, X number of people mention Y, but rather what is the dynamic when this conversation is going on? So how do people relate uh, to one another? So, for example, when' we're, when we're writing up the analysis, instead of just giving short quotations from individuals, we would give longer, interactions, conversations in which we might have three or four people going back and forth to show uh, the way that the discourse is developing. So our analysis was based upon understanding discourses rather than on content analysis or something like that.
1: When students are first learning about research methodology, they often hear about the ideas of generalizability and validity. Did these factor into your project or were these things that you considered?
0: Oh, for sure. Um, generally, we followed a grounded theory saturation approach, which is to say that uh, you keep doing the interview or the focus group until you start getting enough repetition in the discussions uh, that you feel confident uh, that the findings are generalizable. Um, of course, uh, that depends upon the group. So for example, uh, a group of business people is different from a group of students and we would want to do enough focus groups with each to be able to, um, to say something about those groups uh, in particular. Um, there is always more validity in numbers, uh, of course, um, and, and more strength uh, in the argument
1: uh, another often discussed idea is the positionality of the researcher. How did this play a part in either the research process or the design of the project?
0: It's very important. And it was interesting in this particular project because the individual who did the Cantonese focus groups, actually there were two or three of them, but uh, all of them were members of the Hong Kong Canadian community or uh, people in Hong Kong, um, in the cases of the focus groups that we that we did there, as opposed to the ones in English, uh, most of which I did, and my background is Japanese Canadian, not Chinese Canadian, um, so I couldn't be identified as a member of the community in any way. I think that it did make a difference um and that's the reason why i tended also to focus upon the younger participants uh for whom i believe my positionality was very different than it would have been uh for the older generation and for the older generation we always had someone who was of hong kong background
1: would you be willing to share one of your core findings or contributions that emerged from this project?
0: Yeah, we, um, we had many, of course. But uh, let me share something about the students uh, that's very, very interesting. Uh, there are, of course, thousands of Hong Kong origin students in Canadian universities. Some of them are canadian born. And some of them were born in Hong Kong. Now, they have names for, for this. Um, they call the Canadian-born CBCs, Canadian-born Chinese. Um, and the newly arrived have a variety of different names, which in itself is interesting because the CBCs, as they're called, um, are rather resentful of the newer immigrants, Now, this is something that I discovered in the very first focus group with students. And on that basis, we decided that going forward, we would separate the CBCs from the recent immigrants uh, because their experiences and their understanding of citizenship seemed to be fundamentally different. And and we were certainly right about that. Uh, But the surprising thing was that among the CBCs, we found a deep level of resentment toward the more recent immigrants because they felt that the recent immigrants who may speak in Cantonese, who dress in a certain way, who drive certain kinds of cars, they had a pretty stereotypical understanding of of the more recent immigrants, um, give off an image that other Canadians think is not Canadian. And for the CBCs, a major concern was to overcome the effects of racialization and to make it very clear that they're Canadian first. So that was a surprising finding that occurred early in the process. And we continued um, to do more focus groups to try and get deeper and deeper into our understanding of that phenomenon.
1: Did you have an intended audience in mind during the project, and did that shape the research at all?
0: I guess the standard research audience, of course, is other researchers, uh, and, and that's why we publish mainly in academic journals, but we also wanted to reach policymakers, Uh, So, for example, uh, policymakers have paid a great deal of attention to our finding that the majority of the 250,000 or so people with Canadian citizenship uh, living in Hong Kong intend to come back to Canada. That's a very large number of people. Uh, It has significance in terms of education, labor market participation, um, and in terms of things like pensions and health care and, and all sorts of things that people expect uh, from their society as citizens. So that aspect probably has influenced policy in a fairly direct way uh, more than anything else.
1: As a way of uh, concluding the conversation, I was wondering if we could return back to the undergraduate students that I mentioned in the very first question and think about what are the main advantages or selling points of of using focus groups? So what would you tell that undergraduate audience to get them excited about this method?
0: First of all, it's dynamic. It has the potential for change. So we always go into a focus group saying there is a possibility that people will change their minds, that the nature of the issue will change, uh, and that the information that we understand will change. The focus group addresses real life experiences. Uh, We hear firsthand from people about their experiences, but also how other people react. So people will compare their experiences. They'll sometimes challenge uh, another or they'll sometimes corroborate uh, those experiences. And so we have a sense not only of maybe what the experiences are, but how they're actually lived and negotiated. We also get a sense of community, the ways in which people within a community interact. And in so doing, they establish ideological preferences. They establish uh, cultural ideas and values and the sense of identity that marks them as being part of a particular Uh, community. So overall, it means that the focus group allows us to uncover the actual discourses through which common identity is developed, and through which it is negotiated, challenged and maintained. And for me, that's the most important aspect of the focus group.
1: That was great. Thank you again for joining us today.
0: It was a pleasure. On behalf of me, Sarah Loggison and my co-producer, Kyle Green, thank you so
1: much for listening. And remember... Please give Methods a chance.